Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share, she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal Series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, down there, sexual and reproductive health, the wise woman way. And abundantly well, seven medicines, the wise woman way. The newest book in the wise woman herbal series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Needs, a cancer diagnosis, adaptogens for long life, and abundantly well companion course, wisewomanschool.com. You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Justine. Thank you. Glad to be here. Isn't that different? Usually I'm welcoming Sarah Ellen, but Sarah Ellen is off somewhere, and so here is Justine. How's your day been? 
My day has been very busy. How about yours? Mine, too. As I sit here, Justine, I'm thinking, uh-oh, I told her I would message her before dinner, but I was so busy I didn't. I actually even wound up at Gordon's half an hour late. <laughs> well, there just doesn't seem to be enough time in the day. Indeed, and especially on the longest day of the year. <laughs> Amazing, Here isn't it? Still we summer solstice, and everything needs to be done. There's a new apprentice here. Would you like to say hello to everyone? Hello, everyone. <laughs> Tell them your name. My name is Atalia. Atalia. And I Blossom. harvested elder blossoms. The elders are just blossoming, blossoming, blossoming so much this year. And so we uh, we did the difficult deed. You know, the elder uh, bushes around here always, as you're driving by, it's always like, oh, well, there's an elder right by the road. And then when you stop, you find that between you and the elder is both poison ivy and either raspberries or wild roses. And a water bog. And you're going to step down several feet into water, exactly. So it's always a bit harrowing, harvesting the elder. I was teasing that people who thought, oh, you know, herbalists go out with their baskets, tra-la, tra-la. You know, and here we are, like, with the roses thorning us and trying to avoid the poison ivy and reaching for that beautiful cluster of elderflowers up there. So we made a batch of elderflower champagne with the vinegar in it. We made a batch of elderflower champagne with the cream of tartar in it. And we went to YouTube and we watched the YouTube that you made of me making elderflower champagne while we were making it. That was such fun. How wonderful. (laughs) So, if the elder is blooming where you are, yes, indeed. I just put in elderflower champagne, Susan Weed, and the YouTube came up. And then when I wanted the vinegar recipe, I said elderflower champagne, vinegar recipe, Susan Weed, and there was the recipe, and I could print it out. Then elderflower champagne, cream of tartar recipe, and soup, and there it was. And, of course, what did we have tonight but elderflower champagne made summer solstice twenty. 22 from the Little Big Eagle Clan. Great first day of apprenticeship. Apprentices take care of apprentices. So here she is making elderflower champagne and then drinking the elderflower champagne made by last year's apprentices. I love how we join hands through the years and keep the spiral moving along with so many wonderful apprentices doing so much good. It has been really a summer for me to be in real gratitude for how the apprentices are serving and putting themselves forward in in the world and leading ceremony and putting up conferences and teaching and writing books and just doing fun and amazing and marvelous things. Mm. And as if it wasn't enough for us to make two batches of elderflower champagne, we took all the elderflowers that were left on the bottom of the basket and made some elderflower honey. Oh, nice. And I always, I always bow to you as the creator for me of elderflower honey. My favorite. Yes. I remember you're telling me that 
You were looking at the elderflowers and thinking they're not going to be okay when I get back from wherever you are going. So I'm just going to put them in honey to preserve them for now, and then I can tincture them and do whatever I want. And voila, of course, you never took them out of the honey. That's just used them that way, and it's become one of our classics is elderflower honey. Oh, yum, yum. Oh, yeah. So... So the essence of summer solstice, the hypericum did indeed start blooming today. Natalia and I found a beautiful patch of it. I want to go back tomorrow and start harvesting those individual flowers. And um, we also made a bunch of motherwort tincture. There's so much motherwort this year. Really, so much motherwort, right? Just everywhere. You can't not see it. It's very lovely this year. Yes. It just seems seems particularly stately. Perhaps it's been just the right combination of sun and rain. It doesn't look scraggly. It looks like really uh, just really powerful. And I was reminiscing about the apprentice who chose motherwort as her green ally, not knowing that it was motherwort. And oh, yeah, right. Right? And that she said, well, yeah, I remember what's, that. Right, what's this plant's name? And I said, well, you have to ask the plant what its name is. And she asked the plant, and when she gave her Green Ally presentation, she told us that the plant said to her that its name was Hands from the Heart. And I was so taken by that. It just, like, made this thrill go through me. It's like, oh, that's that's its real name. We can yeah. call it motherwort. We can call it Leonurus cardiaca, but its real name is Hands from the Heart. Hmm, that's beautiful. Yeah. And with those hand-shaped leaves, of course, we were harvesting the flowering tops. And um, Talia's aunt um, Ava dropped her off yesterday and saw the motherwort. As you say, you can't not see it. It's just like everywhere and just blooming and full of itself in such a wonderful and perfect way. And she said she makes tea of it. So I gave her some scissors and a basket and had her cut some to take back to her. She lives in what part of the New York City? Upper West Side. Upper West Side. So motherwort took a trip to the Upper West Side. The lindens are all just about to finish blooming. In the city? Here. Here. Oh, goodness. Well, we're just looking up in the linden, and it's still in bud. Interesting. No, yeah, I'm saying it's just about to come into bloom is what I'm trying to say. I'm awkward. Sorry, excuse me. That's okay. Yes, it's just about, it's to, just about to start blooming. It's just yes. about to come into bloom, like yes. another week Yes, maybe. exactly. It's 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 that time when when there's so much to do as we started out by saying. And the red clover. And the red clover. Oh, so many wonderful red clover blossoms to harvest this year, and the mullen is also huge this year, and so much of it. So yeah. thank you. Thank you for making the mullen infusion for me to add the goat's milk to so that we could have mullen milk. I just brewed another batch. And 
it is so abundant this year. Everything, absolutely everything, it's just growing, growing, growing. And that's our answer to inhaling smoke. Is to, in mm. addition to drinking our nourishing herbal infusion, drinking a cup or more of mullen milk on a daily basis. Really, take care of uh, your lungs. Hey, we have four people, I think, who would like to ask a question. Shall we launch into that, or do you have some more announcements you'd like to make first? I would like to say that at 9 o'clock, Alicia Deva is going to be with us. She's an interdisciplinary thinker who's been researching social inequality for about 30 years. She has a multidisciplinary degree, which is a combination of anthropology, psychology, and biology, and worked for four years in neuroscience at UCLA until the sexism drove her out. She'll be our guest at 9 o'clock, talking about her book and a lot of other very interesting things. Stay with us at, until 9 to hear from Alicia or come back then. And now, yes, let's hear those questions. Cool. Great. I'm looking forward to uh, hearing that interview. It sounds like it's going to be really interesting. Um, in the 206 area, the line is open if you would like to speak with Susan. Hi, Susan. This is Shay. How are you? Hi, Shay. I am enjoying summer solstice. How about you? Me too. Blessed Lisa. I've now been on my little piece of land in the Blue Ridge Mountains on Bear Wallow Mountains for about one year. And just since last Thursday, I've had three different encounters with a juvenile bear on my property. Just, like, really magical. I feel like um, I'm really, really connecting with the web of life here. And the animals are recognizing me as part of their community. And just really, really magical. But You um, absolutely reason- in every way deserve that. <laughs> You, you know, I believe that if we give nature an hour, she will prove to us that we are her favorite child. Yes. Yes. But you I do have to give her the honest said. hour. You do have to walk away from all your props. Mm-hmm. And put you just That's really something. put you in her hands. And wow, wow, what great tricks she mm-hmm. has up her sleeve. Yeah. I've really is it the been same noticing. juvenile bear? It is. Mm-hmm. And I have this sitting spot that I go to underneath an oak tree, and I just sit there with my bare feet in the dirt. It's not even, like, green. It's, it's like the dirt there. And I just feel very connected in that, that sense that you're talking about of being nature's favorite child. So delicious. I don't have any internet up here. It's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh, so please. (laughs) I know. It's incredible. Incredible. Um, Incredible, yeah. 
because you are you, you don't need that internet because you're in the interweb. You're That's in the right. web of all life. That's right. That's which is what I always talking to itself time. about what's going on. Yes. When I tell people we're connected on the web, I'm always like, I mean the real one. <laughs> not the fake one. <laughs> real web. Not the one that was created by humans that's wholly fabricated. Not the one um, you have to pay for. That's right. Um, so I'm calling to touch base with you again before I have my knee replacement surgery. It's coming up on July 11th. And I have some specific questions. I had my, pre, my pre-surgery appointment with the surgeon. He made some recommendations, and I wanted to run some things by you. All right. So, um, first of all, he said, these are his suggestions, and you know I don't just swallow this stuff up. So, one thing that he recommended was to start taking aspirin just as a way to prevent blood clots and to take twice a day for 30 days. And I feel resistant to that. And um, I am wondering what your experience or your thoughts are with that. And then I also wanted to ask if, if blood clotting is a concern and a risk, could I think about things like chickweed tincture and um, – Maybe hawthorn and motherwort to, because of their nourishment of the heart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they are very concerned about blood clots. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons that they get concerned is if they do surgery, which leaves you in their estimation unable to move about much. Right. So this was also something, as soon as I left the hospital, they said, you have to um, use this injectable blood thinning thing so you don't get blood clots. Right. And I used it for a short while, and then I called up and I said, yo, do you know that the package insert says that if you're over 65 and you use it, so when you stop using it, your risk for blood clots skyrockets? And they said, well, don't pay any attention to that. I said, excuse me, I am paying attention to that. It's not only in the package insert, it's in huge letters in a box. Well, it hardly ever happens. I'm like, well, you know what? I think it's not going to happen to me at all because I think I'm going to stop taking this. I don't think I'm at much risk for blood clots. About how often do these blood clots even happen, I asked. They said, oh, well, and it was a really small percentage, so that's the question to ask him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I also said to them, I said, you know, I am a, I'm a foot tapper. I'm not laying here in this hospital bed. Mm-hmm. Like a lump of dough. I am tapping my toes. I am twitching my calves. I am moving my body. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah. if that's you, and my recollection of you is that is you, that you live in a toned body, and it gets toned by your being in constant motion. Mm-hmm. 
which doesn't necessarily mean running around. It just means that you're never really quite still. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's accurate. Yeah, so they're not used to treating healthy people. Right. It's yeah. okay. Was... They, you know, we live in a culture in which both the food and the medicine is designed for the the weakest of us all. And how wonderful as human beings that we can do that. How wonderful that we can make our food supply so sterile that someone (laughs) with an organ transplant can eat it. Mm -hmm. It's not healthy for the rest of us. Mm -hmm. And so when a doctor suggests something, I say, as I said, how often often does this actually occur? What's my actual risk here? You, do half of the people who have a knee replacement have a blood clot and require hospitalization? Or is it 2%? Mm-hmm. And taking aspirin does increase your risk of internal bleeding, as a matter of fact, for a, several decades. Medical professionals yeah. were encouraged to suggest to elders that they take a daily aspirin, even a baby aspirin, to in the blood to prevent blood clots. And we have recently decided that uh, we probably killed more people by internal bleeding than we saved from stroke. Yep. Yep. So that's basically the risk he's asking you to take. He's saying, well, I'd like you to do something that can actually kill you from internal bleeding to prevent a stroke. Yeah, they're so backwards. So you have to decide, right? No, you know, I don't think that I'm going to have a stroke. Yeah. My response when they start rattling off these suggestions is, okay, thanks for that information, and I write it down, and then I go and think about it, feel into it, ask questions, do a little research. I'm not just going to do what they say. Um, I have to I have to laugh because if you go on like any website, they will tell you that before surgery you have to stop taking any blood thinning herb. <laughs> and here he's telling uh, you to take aspirin twice a day, which is a known blood thinner. It's just hysterical. What can I say? It is psychotic. Well, I started. <laughs> it's, just, it's disconnected. It's not really psychotic. It's just disconnected. It's just like, you know, but it's very focused. And I was actually thinking today as I was driving to my voice lesson that in a time of specialists, I have chosen to remain a generalist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's the opposite of that living web we were talking about. It's that the specialization. In one little section of the web, and they're just seeing one little straight segment of this entire fractal. And right. Not able to perceive. It's, so it's not wrong. It's that. not untrue. It's just not quite right. big enough yet. Right. Right. 
get bigger. Bigger. Uh, um, so I start since um, my surgery is July 11th. I started right. about a month before taking echinacea tincture every day. So I take a dropper full in the morning and a dropper full at night to feed those macrophages and or to nourish their growth. Um, and do remind the doctor that you've been doing that. So if they do a blood test before the surgery and find that you're flooded with macrophages, they do not decide that you can't be operated on because you must have an infection. Okay, that's a great tip. I'm writing that down. Okay, thank you. The midwives came up with that because sometimes they want to give a woman echinacea if her water is ruptured and sometimes have to, you know, transport her. And so they found that the doctors would freak out if the if the white blood cell count was high. Okay. So they would always come in and say, her white blood cell count is high because I've been giving her echinacea. And everybody knows it increases white blood cells. So they they were fine with it. Okay. That's great. Um, they He said this weird thing. He had this recommendation for this specific antibacterial soap and said, for, buy this bottle of soap and use it to wash your knee for the two days leading up to the surgery. And I thought that was so weird, um, especially since I'm working with echinacea. Like, I don't, I don't think I need – also, I don't want to apply anything that's antibacterial anywhere on my body – um, when there's nothing to be addressed there. Have you ever heard of that? The problem is that the surgeons now work in facilities where there's very bad bacteria. Mm-hmm. Bacteria that mm, you don't want. So I became very aware of this when I was at my first hyperbaric therapy treatment, and I was supposed to wear the little paper slippers they'd given me, and I just walked across the floor barefoot, and they said, go back and get slippers. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry, but my feet are clean. They said, it has nothing to do with your feet. like, what? They said, the floor, the floor, and then you're going to take your bare feet in the hyperbaric chamber. We don't want that. And I said, my goodness, it's hospital is in the floor mm. all the worse mm. they were just you know as far as they were concerned their floor was just a seething cauldron of bacteria right and I really started to get I mean that's the wound care center and they just like they see bacteria everywhere because they see bad stuff my dear mm-hmm. dear buddy Patch Adams just gave up his leg from the knee down so he could dance again because he got a flesh-eating bacteria that he couldn't get rid of. Oh, God. Well... So this is what they're frightened of. We have to understand they're afraid. And we need to understand what they're afraid of. They're afraid of, oh, my gosh, we're going to do a knee replacement. She's going to get a flesh-eating bacteria, and, ah, she's going to lose her leg. She's going to sue us. It's going to be bad. Eek, eek, eek. We'll tell her to do this, and so if that happens, we'll be in the clear with the insurance. It's not like that's Mm -hmm. going to prevent it from happening, but it will give them a little, like, 
Mm-hmm. We told her to. Right. Yep. You can spray yarrow on it if you want. Uh-huh. And I would yep. certainly spray yarrow on it afterwards. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. Yep. Okay. Um, two more quick things, because I know you have other people on the line. Um General versus spinal anesthesia. What are your thoughts on that? I've What they told have, me mm-hmm. was that for my surgery, they were going to use spinal and general. Mm-hmm. Because they could more closely control the dosages. Mm-hmm. And keep me in better repair. And since I had no idea what they were going to do or what they were going to need in terms of like actual, gracious goodness, I am not a surgeon. I said, you know what? I'm going to let you call the shot on this. I'm going to totally let you do that. And there were some things that I really wanted. I wanted my memory intact, and it is. Mm-hmm. And they said that that was one of the advantages of doing both. So I don't know if you're being offered both. No. Um, it's been one or the other, and the surgeon hasn't really had an in-depth conversation. He said that the anesthesiologist would be the person to have mm-hmm. a more detailed conversation with. Mm-hmm. There's risks and benefits from both. Right. With general, you're not there. You go to sleep. With your real knee, you wake up. With your new knee. Mm-hmm. With the spinal, you're there. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's kind of the big dividing line for people. Do you want to be present? Or do you not want to be present? Yeah. Yeah, I think I want to be present. And I, general anesthesia, I have this fear of it like it's hovering above death. And I had my first knee surgery when I was in my early 20s, and it was general anesthesia. And I just remember waking up and coming out of it screaming and crying hysterically and I was like what the fuck just happened (laughs) Um, yeah well that's clear yeah yeah yep so my last question is about the arnica on the soles of the feet post-op you had recommended that and my friend Colleen who you know is going to be my my friend and um, sister caregiver following Oh, surgery. give her a big hug for me. I was just talking about her I the will. other day. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have some good time together. Um, so right. she's, she, I'm dispatching her to apply the Arnica gel to my feet. But can you tell me and our listeners um, a little bit more about the, the effect of that and why you recommend it? Well, Arnica is one of those 
let me take care of anything that hurts herbs. I mm. first met it in the Colorado Rockies, where it grows high up in the mountains. But I've also seen it here at Catskill Comfrey Farm at Seth's place, which is not up that high, a couple of thousand feet, and it's doing quite well. What was fascinating to me at the Hypericum Conference was reading about studies that um, kind of put Hypericum and Arnica nose to nose. And the Hypericum was as good as the Arnica in almost every mm-hmm. respect. I, I, of course, was wedded to Arnica because I was in the Rockies hiking. Then we made a final base camp up at 11,000 feet after working our way up there and we're scaling 14,000 foot peaks. And then we came all the way back down to Boulder, which is thousands and thousands of feet in one day. And the front of my legs were on fire. And they threw me in a hot bathtub and threw Arnica flowers in with me. And I got out of there ready to run a marathon. Wow. <laughs> oh. I'm totally in love with Arnico, a plant I had just met that week, and, and, which was restoring me to uprightness. And so <laughs> then um, my granddaughter, my daughter was the safest child ever, but my granddaughter was more like me. Right. I already had, you know, like 30-some-odd stitches by, before I was even walking. It's like we just, you know, she and I, we just like head first into life. And if there's tooth or sharp things, well, so what? And so um, we kept Arnica gel on hand. And I saw it so many instances, especially one where she like took a head first crash down stone steps. It was this huge, like, goose egg, black and blue, raised up on her forehead. And we just started applying Arnica gel and applying it, applying it, applying it. Within the hour, there wasn't even a mark on her forehead. How? Right? Ugh. It just over and over again. Now, Justine's listening. You want to say something about this? Um, No, you're saying it so eloquently. But, yes, I had a, a... tube of that in every room of my house throughout her toddler years and in the car too and in my pocket and in every bag I owned. <laughs> and in yeah. a, and every coat pocket too. And That's I had right. it in my car and in every room of my house. I mean we just And we're not exaggerating. Because the faster yeah. you get it on there the more effective it is actually really. And I mm-hmm. have used it on a lot of things, too, like when you stub a toe, mm-hmm. you know, when you do that and you're just, like, hopping up and down and saying bad, bad words, and you know it's, like, really going to hurt for days and days. You put that article on there, and I'm telling you, it's going to stop hurting. However, I have had a couple of instances where I would have reached for the arnica, but it wasn't there, and there was hypericum oil, and I put it on, and it also stopped it as fast as the arnica did. Those studies weren't just, mm-hmm. like, whistling. Yes. Great. Well, I will make sure I have both of them on hand. And is there something particular about applying it to the soles of the feet? Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. The soles of your feet mirror your entire body. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. So when you do apply something to the soles of your feet, you are applying it to the whole body. 
Mm. You can probably find out what point on your foot is the knee, and especially rub there. Justine, do you oh, remember when idea. you and Nicola rubbed garlic on your feet? Yes, I do, actually. <laughs> you can smell it on our breath. I was you can teaching. smell it on our breath. <laughs> I was teaching, and I was teaching in this building, and the walls were pretty thin. And Justine and her friend were in the room next door to where I was teaching, and I was talking about garlic. And then if you rub it on your feet, you can smell it on your breath. And so they did. And then when class was over, they came running in and said to people, smell our breath, smell our breath. It was just... <laughs> oh, that's amazing. <laughs> I'll tell you what else really brings it on your breath is if you insert it vaginally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't think you could just put it up there and nobody will know. <laughs> yep. Yep. It really gets systemic. Uh, well, thank you so much, Susan, for sharing your wisdom and your love. And um, I appreciate you. And I think about you almost every day. And I'm so grateful that I've been given a doorway into the wise woman tradition through you. And I'm continuing to share that with other women I encounter. And I'm just so grateful. Thank you so much for everything that you've done for us. And my gratitude for your sharing it and spreading it out and making it larger. Green blessing. (laughs) Love, love, love. Green blessing. Love you. Good night. Good night. In the 989 area, the line is open for you. Hello, ladies. Hello. Can you hear me okay? I'm going to switch hey. over from my headphones. On this day, Hold what are you on. doing? I am outside watering my garden on a beautiful uh, mid-eastern Michigan evening. Doesn't get any better. It's just gorgeous outside, on a cloud in the sky. Um, my question that I've been wondering about lately is: I've been growing some gorgeous red clover, and it's really started to take off in my yard. And I harvest it, harvest it, harvest it all summer long, and dry it, dry it, dry it. And I'm lucky if I get, you know. Enough to do one infusion, which is fine with me because at least I know I'm getting one infusion into my bones that I grew and loved and cared for and dried. Um, because sometimes, you know, when you buy the egged up stuff, it doesn't really look or taste a lot like the stuff that I grow. So, my question is I'm sorry, I'm out of breath, I'm hauling water. <laughs> All the water not chopping wood <laughs> out of my rain barrels. Um, so I I listened to one of your podcasts. Um, I'm going to say it was years ago. You talked about somebody bringing you some glorious frozen red clover, um, which I have done. But my question is regarding um, make, can you make infusion out of frozen? doesn't measure the same as dried, would it? dry it and then freeze it. Oh, you dry it and then freeze it. Oh, I was like freezing it 
and it froze beautiful. It looked just gorgeous. Uh-huh. Uh, you could make. Um, you might be able to like use that in cooking. We've made red clover soup. You might be able to use it to make wine. We made red clover wine. Whoa, is that ever good? Hmm. Hmm. Mm. It tasted extremely strong, so I almost didn't care for the taste of it. it Got it. I did. I, Much and more I didn't know how to measure it. Yeah, it was like, whoa. Whoa. Right. Oh. Four <laughs> ounces of fresh oh. and one ounce of dried. Four ounces of Okay. I could never quite wrap my brain around how you would um, do that. My other question is about... Um, Most living things are 75 I, to 80% water. Right. 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 I don't know. Four ounces. Um, also, not in Michigan, it does have a tendency to get kind of humid. So it's quite the, quite the project, drying my herbs. <laughs> I got them all over the place. But, um, the blossoms, of course, but at, like at this stage of the game, I'm getting some powdery mildew setting in. So, some of the plants, Into some of the it ones is, that are blooming, right, right. So, I just cut do those I want to like? I just cut them off and drop them on the ground. I don't harvest them. Whole plant. Use. Okay. So, what I did tonight. So don't harvest. The more you cut. The flowers off the clover, like any blooming plant, the more flowers it will make. All right. Yeah, they they just have a riot all summer long. The more I pick, the more they come. Do you have any horses <laughs> well, like growing where you are? Um, No, I don't. It is in the area, not in my immediate yard. But, I have um, heard tell that if you make a brew of horsetail and spray it on things that have powdery mildew, it makes it. Really? I will. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Okay, I guess that is... And if it works, be sure to call back. Yeah, I'm going to try it. So you would, like, make a tea out of it or... Brew it up. Brew it up. All right. I will will definitely uh, snatch some of that up when I'm... (laughs) I walk past it every day. When I'm walking right. the dog, but um, that's a common plan. Yeah, right. Do you have right. the little one that looks like a little pine tree, the Equisetum arvens, or do you have the big um, reedier one? Both, actually. Uh-huh. One that looks like a one that I looks like a tail, and then one that's supposed to be more against fungal and mildewy things. Okay, and then we have the one that looks like, because we're very near water, so um, a lot they, of times you see like the one, it, it looks like a real prehistoric stalk, almost looks like a little bamboo. So, yeah, that's the one I'm talking about that's stalky. Right, then there's one that kind of looks like a green, bushy, like you know, a little that's, green that's also, Yeah. 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 Please. That's the event. Yeah. That's the field one. That's I think right. that's the one that's usually used medicinally. And the other one is sometimes called okay. scouring grass. Right. Right. Well that's the one I want. Well, so the pine I would try the pine tree E one first. Right. Okay. Right. 
All right, I will do that. I don't. It gets on my um, bomb too. Yeah, um, it doesn't it's really bad too... on the butt. People have the bergamot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but and I, oh, so really I, try, I will try to plants. No, like the it plants doesn't affect the flowers at don't all. Don't come back. They just like hang out in the fall, all covered right. in their white mold. Right, huh? right. It's just something you have to deal with. But I, I use bee balm so much. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm a manicurist, so I actually make bee balm tincture. And when people get, um, like nail funguses or or areas that their nails lift, I give them that. And I'm telling you what, it works faster than any prepared. Um, wow! Do they put it on their nails, or do they take it internally? Underneath, underneath. Like what? sometimes the nail will start to underneath the nail. Underneath the, the nail, their, and this is the yeah, purple like flower nail. one that smells like oregano. Yeah, I just I I try to get the red one growing, and I can't get it to go. So I've always just used the purple one, um, but I've never and I used it when I was sick one time, and I have never seen such huge results. That was that's the herb that really knocked me on my butt and said, you know. <laughs> I work. This is, you know, I came down with something. I took it. I was better than excited. I couldn't believe it. I was just flabbergasted. Just flabbergasted. But I, so I just started using it on people. I give it to some of my clients that are open to my incessant babblings of about herbs because I've been a manicurist for 37 years. And um, so I've tried it on people. And when they stay on it, healed up fingernails and toenails like nothing I've ever seen before because they always say oh yeah try some tea tree or you know and then they have that drug that will just about kill your liver I've had people try that before and it and it's like give them some of this bee balm and it clears it right up it's unbelievable and they're looking at me like what the heck is this <laughs> what <laughs> is this like, oh my gosh what is this and it you know so it's a, it, it smells like listerine the flowering top of the purple flowered monarda monarda right. yeah monarda fistula. yeah i make a tea uh, with it i make tincture with it and yeah ooh, i've had tea with it is like a result yeah yeah it's like listerine yeah, yeah I put it in like, a little squirt bottle or a, dro- a dropper yeah. bottle, and they just squeeze it up under their nail, and wow, uh, it's like a miracle. It really is. So, anyway, so thank you for turning me on to that. I, I, everyone been, uh, is thanking you. Everyone is lighting a candle to you. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> oh, you're very welcome. Yeah, I've, I mean, I've heard people ask about, you know, nail funguses before, and uh, I've always wanted to call in and say, ah! Don't <laughs> you know, do it, I have a little bit of hooray! Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's great. Yeah, um, we all have tip hooray. Yeah, so anybody that's got a funky toenail or fingernail, you know, just get on it. Do it every day, a couple times a I day. I wonder what would happen will. if you on the plant if it would get rid of the white mold of the plant. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, funny. Funny that uh plant that's so antifungal has this white mold growing all over it, or white, I mean, it's mildew. But, <laughs> <you know. laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, okay, well, I'll let you go so you can talk to uh, the other girls, but um, 
Happy summer solstice. Happy summer, summer solstice. solstice. May and you be filled with joy. Good night. Good blessing. Oh, you also. Bye. Thank you so much. All right. Now we're going to move to the 908 area code. The line's open for you to speak with Susan. Hi, um, Justine, and hi, Susan. This is Carol. And, hi, and Carol. Hi. How are you tonight? I'm I'm good. Um, so, with the um, Mullen milk, if I look that up in one of your books, would it be there? Um, I don't know if it's in a book, but it's on. Uh, we there's several YouTubes about it. Oh, perfect. Yes. Yes, and that's blooming right now. And just before I I look at it, I'm not near the computer. Uh, it's the flowering top. I usually harvest the entire mullein plant just as it comes into flower, simply because that's when it's easiest to dry. And I hang the whole thing upside down to dry. Many people harvest only the leaves because the stalk is pretty tough and it's hard. But there is a kind of sedative quality that is found in the stalk, which I think is really important in terms of the characteristics that melon offers us. They have that very, very mild sedative to help ease the lung tissue because frequently lung problems are because there's... Um, Tightness, right? People talk about tightness in their chest and tightness in their breathing. And that sedative quality relaxes all of those tissues and lets more air get in. That more air getting in causes further relaxation of the tissues. Oh, yes. And thank you. So I don't Um, let it get, like, right into bloom. I really like, you know, just when there's a buds is my preference. And if you buy it, it's usually just the leaves. I just got really like, it's really hard just to harvest the leaves. You have to have like a lot of space to lay them out to dry. They don't hang up well. I tried, you know, hanging them up with clothespins. I'm like, excuse me. I have more things to do with my time than having <laughs> mullein leaves individually with clothespins. Oh. Wonder. <laughs> oh. So, uh, clever, very clever. Yes, it's certainly at least where we are living. There is a lot of mullen out this year, and it's in oh. the mullen that we're noticing is in its second year. So it's just starting to send up flower stalks here, and we'll be harvesting mm. mullen very soon. Also, the comfrey is ready to harvest. The comfrey's in full flower, and I love to harvest oh. the comfrey when it has flower stalks as well. Oh, gosh. Oh, wonderful. Um, so, and this is where uh, we started this evening. So much to do. Yeah. So two more uh, quick things. One, um, I sliced my finger with the knife, my middle finger at the, you know, the tip, or a little bit down. And it, it, it was deeper than I thought. So I bandaged it when it happened. Um, I guess that was yesterday. But Did you today, put the mirror on it? I didn't put yarrow on it. Did you put some plantain on it? No. What did you put on it? Did you spit on it? 
<laughs> no, a Band-Aid. I guess put a band You didn't even check it? You didn't even put your spit oh. on it? Oh, poor cut. Oh. Oh, but the spit is healing? Of course it is. Oh, my. Isn't um, that an impulse well, we cut ourselves to stick our finger in our mouth? I was trimming up some herbs, Carol, and I cut the whole end of my finger. Oh. It was over at Justine's house. I made a real mess. It was a lot of blood. Oh. And I just got the arrow, and I sprayed arrow on it, and it stopped bleeding. It was pretty it much did. hurting, although whenever I looked at it, I panicked. But, you know, go oh. back. It's not, like, appreciably different from my other fingers. But you can see oh. that I cut the end off of it, right? It's <laughs> a big, big white oh. scar on it. But Oh. Wow. You know, we're pretty sturdy organisms. We self-repair pretty well. But And you're right. Just putting a Band-Aid on it, it will heal. But, hey, you have other things at your disposal. You can help it out. You can stick it in your mouth. Yeah. You can put yarrow on it. You can put plantain on it. You can read it a bedtime okay. story. Okay. And and um, it, it it's what will make it come back together. You know, it's like a split, and the yarrow would make it come back together. You know, knit the yarrow together. Yarrow will help. There's also a product called liquid skin that can be used. Okay. And All right. if it doesn't come back together, there will be a scar. Oh. Yeah. Okay. A scar is okay. A scar is okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's not like okay. you're maimed. Yeah. Yes. Right. Um, I mean, it's, and I, 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 uh, I am thinking that you said the tip of your finger, so it can, o- it can only be as big as the tip of your finger. We're not talking like a six-inch long slice down your finger. Uh, no, it it was about uh, uh, about. Uh, between a quarter and a half inch slice. That's what I figured. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Quite within reason. Yeah. Then the, on my left foot, it's a hammer toe. I believe that's what they call it. The oh bone. yes, it's a, the ligaments get loose. Try a comfrey ointment or a comfrey soak. Okay. Um, but it's the bone. Beth told me that something like that was happening to his hands. He would wake up in the middle of the night with his fingers all, like, bunched up. Oh. In horrible pain. And he started soaking his hands in comfrey, and he said, poof, within a couple of weeks, it stopped happening. Oh. Um, Remember, comfrey is really good. This is a problem with tendons and ligaments shortening and going into spasm. And comfrey is really good for the tendons and ligaments. Yes, I, I, okay, so. You um, know what else? Matthew Wood was just really all up with delight on teasel and how much teasel can do. And he says, anytime you have a problem that you just think like, oh, I can't get over this problem, that teasel is the thing to help you get over the problem. Oh, um, in, in uh, like a soak or, or. um, Teasel root tincture, a couple of drops. Internally or on the on the hammer toe? Internally. Okay, teasel. Teasel okay, root. Okay, wonderful. Teasel yeah. root. Yes. Excellent. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Yeah. He and, said, uh, teasel is so effective for so many things, it should be in every formula. 
Wow. And that was Matthew Matthew Wood? That's a very high recommendation from someone who's experienced with herbs as Matthew Wood. And hooray. Teasel, and soon it will be, you'll be able to see the teasel out there blooming, and then it's a good time to go and look for the first-year plants, and it's the roots of the first-year plants you want to dig later on this fall. Wow. Okay. Thank you so much, Susan, and um, I just, I, I just honor you forever and ever. I just honor you for your wisdom and your, your strength, Susan, and your, you're just so strong and, and so much energy to do all these, all this work that you do. Wow, I'm in awe. Walking barefoot. Mm. Is when that you the key? barefoot, you're constantly recharged by the earth. Oh gosh. So it's like you are connect. We, 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 Shay and I started out talking about being in the web. Yes. Right, the web of energy, the web of life that is constantly oh. communicating and renewing. And when you put yourself in that, you find ways to move that use and do things that. Use very little energy. That's what I study at my voice lesson, is how to get myself out of the way so that I use as little as possible to produce the sound. Wow. Oh, more admiration. Mm. So it's not necessarily strength. It's, it's right in the same way that a very small person who's adept at Aikido and take down a larger opponent. Mm-hmm. Okay. Knowing where to center yourself. Mm-hmm. So you have access to that strength and that energy and that power, too. I love you, Aww. Carol. Thanks for your call. I love you, Susan. Okay. Okay, good night. Good blessings. Okay, so there's a bunch of people here in the room, and if you want to ask Susan a question, you push the number one on your telephone keypad, and then we'll see. Oh, here we go. Okay, let me just make sure I have the last guest muted here, talking out loud. And the 845 area code, the line is open for you. Hi, everyone. Hi, Susan. This is Sasha. Hi, Sasha. Hi. Thank you so much for telling me about this call this evening. I'm really blessed to be on here. And I I just, I'm 43, but we have always had your books growing up in our house. And um, yeah, I feel very blessed. And I also love, I feel like walking barefoot. I I used to walk barefoot all the time in high school, and I used to get in trouble for being barefoot. But now I'm 43, and I I walk I do like figure eights through our yard with our dogs for like a half an hour almost every day barefoot, and it I literally feel like a different person when I come back inside. Like maybe all the little things that could have bothered me or overwhelmed me just completely dissolve and. Um, it does. It's so, it feels so good, just as good as absorbing like the sun and yeah. So I'm with you on those barefoot walks. <laughs> oh, thanks for sharing that. That's wonderful, delicious. Yes, it is so wonderful. 
Um, well, I, I just uh, have a hopefully a, a quick question, but I um, I've had anxiety since I was about eight years old, and I'm kind of the person in my life that helps other people. I'm a body worker, um, but I'm I'm who everyone calls if they're having like uh, being you know feeling worried about their health or <laughs> having anxiety and um, but I can't seem to mirror it to you know onto myself this kind of help. So I for the last four years I'm 43. So in my late 30s, um, the doctor started telling me that I. I have high blood pressure. So anytime I'd go to the doctor, like for a physical or OBGYN, it was um, elevated. And, um, and do you I, have any specific figures? I do. It's pretty high. And I'm like, I'm scared to even like share it because I don't want everyone to be like, oh my God, because that, then that will freak me out even more. But um, like 145 over 95. Um, Okay, that is, not that, all, that is not that all terrible high. Oh, I remember wow. talking to Dr. T, <laughs> Tia Renaclar, low dog, and she was talking about being in, at the clinic um, where her people came, and she was seeing people walking into the clinic with uncorrected blood pressure of 190 over 110. Oh, wow. Yeah, mine was that one time, but I had So, so 145, that's <laughs> like... Kind of normally high. It's high. Okay. Yeah. But it's not like pressure to the hospital. I mean, that's what made Dr. T become a doctor. She said, for people mm. like that, I needed drugs. Uh, yeah. She said, I couldn't I don't... tell them, take Hawthorne for three months. I wanted a drug to put blood mm. pressure down. It's not like the right. drugs actually work that fast. That will bring your blood pressure down, including the one that uh, I probably I worked with today, Mugwort, Leonurus Cardiac of the Lionhearted. Did you say Mugwort or Motherwort? Motherwort. As a matter of fact, Mugwort does not like to be called a Mugwort because of that. She prefers to be called oh. Cronewort. Don't ah. you see my white hair, dear, she says. Hmm. Okay, I just bought motherwort. That's so interesting, and I was afraid to start it because I take two milliliters of Hawthorne Valley uh, Hawthorne Berry Solid Extract three times a day. Uh-huh. I don't know if it's working because I'm too scared to check my blood pressure. For some reason, it became like a <laughs> an, like a thing. Like I feel obsessed. I do you have do you have exercise. a little cup at home? I do. But you do. Okay. I get so, so nervous what that I, I know you it'll do with this cuff. Okay. I want you to take your blood pressure at least every hour. Wow. Every oh, single okay. hour throughout the day, and you take it more yeah. than once an hour if something happens, like you have an argument with okay. somebody. Because mm. I found that whenever I yelled at the apprentices, my blood pressure <laughs> went way down. <laughs> oh, that's so interesting. Right? But, boy, let me not get enough sleep, and my blood pressure was horrid. Yes. I, it was I, really sure clear to me within a few days where the places that I could self-correct were and where the common wisdom didn't hold for me. Right. Right? Yeah. I feel like passion flower has also been really helpful because oh. it just relaxes me. 
so yes. much. Like I take magnesium and passion flower and I go to sleep like a little baby. Aww. <laughs> and it's so helpful. And, and I don't so know, the Hawthorne Berry could be working, you know, because yeah. I've been taking it for several months be. now, three times a day. You could kind of step up what you're doing by buying yeah. some dried Hawthorne Berries. Oh, okay. The dried. And making your own Hawthorne Berry tincture. Ah, uh, okay. It's pretty easy to do. Just take any size jar and fill it, oh, you know, between a third and a half full with the dried Hawthorne Berries. And then add 100 proof vodka. Okay. And make sure there's a good tight lid on it because you want to shake it up for the first few days because those berries are dry and they're going to start absorbing the vodka. And they'll kind uh-huh. of like jam themselves on the bottom of the bottle if you don't shake it, right? Okay. Uh-huh. So the first, you know, three days or so, just shake it, shake it, shake it until it looks like, oh, wow, gee, it looks like there's a lot more berries in it. That's good. That's what it's supposed to do. Mm. Now, you Technically, you could use that tincture within six weeks, but personally, I prefer to wait for a year. Wow. Wow. And when I use my Hawthorne Berry tincture that's been sitting there for a year, I do not think there's anything better. Mm. In fact, my sweetheart um, comes from a family in which the men dependably die in their 50s of massive heart attacks. He's now in his late. Wow. And not only is he taking motherwort, he has had stents put in his blood vessels. So they have looked at his blood vessels. And I have been in the doctor's office with the doctor saying to me, do you see this blood vessel right here? That blood vessel should not be there. That's a blood vessel that the herbs that he's taking has caused to grow, to bring more oxygen to his heart. Wow. Wow. In fact, when he had, he did have a bypass, and he Mm -hmm. was told that there would have already been permanent damage to his heart because of how he never had a heart attack. But he had real trouble breathing. Mm. And after the surgery, the doctor said there was not a single cell in your heart that was injured because the herbs you've been taking had caused so much capillary growth around the heart that it was fully oxygenated. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's unbelievable. So that's motherwort. That's motherwort. And is it okay? That's motherwort that, that with- really causes that new blood vessel growth, and especially the capillary growth, which is so important for women. Oh. It's also... I think really important for you to understand that blood pressure is an active measure. It's not a static thing. Um, It's not like you're walking around with one blood pressure. Your blood pressure is going to be different. Every time you, you'll start doing it every hour and you might get so fascinated that you do it every half hour just to say, my gosh, look at how this changes. Wow. What? I drank a cup of coffee and this happened. I sat down and read a book and this happened. Look at that. I, really? I can make small changes in my blood pressure response so quickly. It, when we have, you know, like computers watching, the blood pressure will change depending on whether you're listening or talking. And if your legs are crossed or flat on the ground, like there's a lot of little things that right. changes. And if your bladder is full <laughs> or empty. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's interesting because I've been so I've been putting off like a tooth extraction. I've been putting off taking dance classes because I have it in my head that my blood pressure will go too high and I'll just have a heart attack. And I've been putting off all these things that I want or need to do because I'm scared. And I don't want to go on medication yet because both my mom and sister went on medication in their late 30s. And my mom's is pretty well controlled, but my sister still has high blood pressure regardless. I was going to ask if you had familial high blood pressure. I do. Yeah, my mom's side, very much so. So, you know, it's pretty rare in familial high blood pressure for there to be much stroke or heart attack. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, my mom has never had a stroke or a heart attack. She just has high blood pressure. What did you say? Not everybody with high blood pressure is going to have a stroke or a heart attack. Right. Right? Right. Yeah, I mean, I feel families where the blood pressure is higher than what they've decided is normal. Yeah, I think the European guidelines is is lower than um, American. Um, like when they decide to call it high blood pressure, it's it's a little bit higher than we do here. Yeah, in the states. Yeah. Um, um, I a hundred years ago. I, your, the upper number on your blood pressure was supposed to be 100 plus your age. Oh, wow. Okay, so I'd be pretty good then, <laughs> if that's the case. <laughs> yeah, and we eat so healthy, you know, we really do. Again, remember that the medical establishment generally does not treat healthy people. Right. So if you are a healthy person, their advice it's not going to work for you. Yeah. And I, the, we eat very well and move a lot. The only things that they talk away. about probably aren't going to happen to you. Right. There's public yeah. health and there's individual health. And for public health, we want everyone to have their blood pressure controlled. But for individual health, in a situation where there's familial high blood pressure and you're eating well... And there's not a history of stroke or heart attack in your family. Oh, that was so beautiful. Oh, my gosh. Two big birds flying wing to wing just flew right <laughs> over me. <gasps> wow. I don't even know what they were. It was like this vision because I'm looking up into the the sky as it's just there's little pink in it and the blue is fading away. And there's leaves of the trees all around and just suddenly... Right in line with my vision, oh my birds, oh. just like the tips of their wow. wings, just touching as they went across. Magnificent! Oh You're going to be so fine. Beautiful. We are blessed. Oh. <laughs> Thank you, Susan. Uh, is it okay to take the motherwort with all the hawthorn berry I'm taking and the passion flower? Can I mix well, all hawthorn that? Hawthorn berry is about <laughs> as dangerous as applesauce. Oh, funny. Okay. So that, okay. Right. And, <laughs> and passion flower, after all, gives us passion fruit, right? Yeah. Passion so flower. So basically, yeah, exactly. they're both fruits. Oh, I see. I see. Okay. And motherwort's a mint. Oh, okay. So it's like okay. you have a fruit compote with some mint. Oh, it sounds so beautiful, actually. That's amazing. And, and my sweetheart doesn't take passiflora, but he does take both Critagus and Leonurus. 
And I don't want him to take Pesaflora because I don't want him to go any slower. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) We're also in the north where it doesn't grow. Right. Okay. I could occasionally have one in a pot, but it's a poor, stunted thing, and I just gave up doing it because, you know, I would get, like, blossoms a year, and I would always feel guilty that poor Passiflora, especially after I saw them in Costa Rica going wild, you know, I'm like, whoa, what a stunted little plant you have. I could feel that way about my lemon verbena, but I overcome it. I was asked right. to prune a lemon verbena in New Zealand, and I came in after 15 minutes, and I said to the woman, I can't find the lemon verbena anywhere, and she laughed. She said, it's all over the porch. There's nothing but lemon verbena. Right? I'm used to, like, these little straw-like lemon verbenas that I grow in pots, and hers was, like, thicker than grape vines, this huge, rambling vine all over the porch. Wow. <laughs> well, right? Lemon verbena. Whoa. I never, never even imagined it like that. I bet. Yes, not up here. I'm in your area, too, across the river, across the Hudson Okay. <laughs> yeah, so the motherwort and the critagus, you know, we can easily grow hawthorn. Well, not yeah. easily. It's very slow growing, but we can grow hawthorn. As a matter of fact, can. Arbor Day okay. sends out free hawthorn trees. Really? Yeah. Wow. Oh, I'd love to plant one because I feel like I'm so connected to that. Uh, I also went to the hawthorn Valley Waldorf School, so I and my children went there, so I feel oh my gosh, like wow. very uh, close to my heart, literally. <laughs> right, yes, 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 yes. And you yeah. know, that extract, it's nice, but I don't know that it's any better than the berry tincture. Gotcha, okay, okay. Yeah. Right, it's, it's kind of that convenient concentrate, mm. but it's right. not like... Um, it does something that makes it more useful or more uh, active in your body. I see. It's yeah. kind of expensive. Right. I mean, you'll be kind yeah. of like, you're kidding me. A pound it of hawthorn berries is only what? Wow. I'm so excited to make it myself. Yeah. Yeah. You need 100 proof vodka, jar, and some hawthorn berries, and you're good to go. What I like to do is I like to start a new quart of tincture every three months. Okay. Mm -hmm. And And that way I always have one that's a year old. Right, right. Right, and then if I'm not taking that much, because I generally only take like a dropper full a day. He he takes like, Mm -hmm. you know, three to four dropper full several times a day. Um, you know, if, if there's suddenly too much, then I'll skip. I'll skip one. I'll say, oh, right. Yeah. Right, we have too many jars of Hawthorne. I'm not going to do it right now. Right. I do it at the solstices and equinoxes. It's an easy time to remember. Mm. I'm going to do that. that. I'm so excited. That is, gives us so much. Mm. Thank you so much, Susan. I feel like my whole body just, like, relaxed. I feel like I've had just obsessive thinking about this i don't i'm not sure why i i'm not yeah i don't know why it's I think, very easy to become infected with fear it is it's especially easy to become infected with fear about our health when a healthcare professional is afraid yeah you have to get I just immunized finished, yeah Right. Right. Yeah. I, I just finished a training. I don't know if you know this Dr. Zach Bush or what 
I oh, said about him, but I just finished got the training. Good ideas. I really like what he has to say about viruses. Me too. And it, it was and such he a seems to training. understand that animals are important in farming. Yes. Yep. <laughs> I yep. give him huge credit for understanding that animals are part of the picture. Yes. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, he's. It was a really phenomenal. Um, and like all of us, he goes off the deep end on certain things, and that's okay. He so does, and he knows it. <laughs> he knows that's knows it. just so we all have our foibles. What can we say? Yeah. So true. At least he's aware of it, and uh, but exactly he knows about our intrinsic ability to heal, and it's very empowering and beautiful, and uh, yeah, and so now and I feel very it. obvious. If you listen to him at all, that he that he is truly enjoying himself and is <laughs> doing his best to spread the joy. Yeah, that's right. He is. That's right. <laughs> Susan, thank you so much. I I just yeah, I feel very blessed and very grateful, and I so appreciate all of your wisdom and dance class next week. Beauty. I what did you say? Yeah. Oh my God! Dance class so, next week. I'm, what is it? Because I'm just like so scared it's going to go so high if I'm dancing my heart out. But I love to dance. Of course um, you do. But nothing yeah. can be better for your heart than to dance. Right. Nothing All right. I'm be, going for it. Go for it. <laughs> right. I'm advocating for, for my friend who has multiple sclerosis that is in a facility, and they're telling her that they. But they're not going to allow her to smoke tobacco. And I'm like, get a grip. Oh, Do you wow. Do not tobacco away from her? Right. It doesn't matter whether it makes her healthy or not. The socialization will live, help her live longer. It's she so gets to go outside and talk to people when she smokes instead of laying in her bed by herself. Come on. It's so true. You have to pick and choose. Actually, Zach Bush said that. He said it's not what's on your plate. What's more important is who's around your table. Who are you laughing with? Right. And uh, and communing with, yeah. And he said, of course it's important what's on your plate, but what's most important this is, is right. connection. Yeah. 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 So I I totally um, believe that. Thank you, and thank for you so much of... for reminding me. <laughs> <laughs> so much love to you, and I hope you have a wonderful night. Thank you. Green blessings. Thank you. You okay. too. Dance class next week. Yeah. Uh, Is this a dance class? How oh. ah, wonderful. <laughs> All righty. We're going to the 352 area code. You're open. Line's open. Hi, Susan. It's Carol from Tennessee. Hi. How is everything Hi. in Tennessee? Well, I am a distracted driver for sure by the elderflower. Now, I think I talked to you and told you I made some cordial from the elderflower. It, you're right. You just go, uh, it's so hard to drive. And then you like big ditch, big ditch. And then you'll you'll see one in somebody's backyard or in a parking lot that you can get to. Elderflower is fun. I've enjoyed looking elderflower. at the elderflower. And the mullen and... Uh, making some bee, bee balm oxymel. It was a good talk that you had tonight. Mm, bee balm to- oxymel. Oh, be still my heart. <laughs> right. 
we were just uh, we were just sampling some walking onion oxymel. Wow! Yeah, just create. I and love those garlicky onion taste. And, and they got oh, yeah. the bergamot, apple mint. That's just tenacious to stay there. And so that's where that source comes from. Hey, but I have something to tell you. I went to a um, a, a small talk at Vanderbilt. This guy from uh, Dr. Fisher from Duke came down to talk about echinacea, and I caught the end of it. And he was talking about the study that was done in Budapest where there's this echinoid or echinoid now that they're finding in echinacea that binds the same receptors that cannabinoids and that they're finding that echinacea is equivalent to a Xanax, that there's these echinoids. Wow. Just, oh, my. They like calming dogs down and. Um, it, it was a it was a real deal. I mean, it was it was a real talk. I was oh, I'm so glad tonight was. Yeah, all right, far out. We, you know, it's it's very fascinating to me because one of the things that I used to say was, echinacea is the kind of herb you just take it when you need it. You don't want to take it on a daily basis. It's not a daily herb to take. And yet, because I have an indolent wound, because of an open wound on my back. Um, I have been taking echinacea every day. I have been taking at least a dropper full of echinacea, and on some days more, every day for like three years now. Now, Susan, when you and I was, I was led to believe that um, that actually you couldn't do that. That there would be like some consequences if you did that. But so far, there haven't been any consequences at all. And who knows? Maybe it's even improved my mood. Uh, well, that's exactly what I'm telling. So you should look that up. It's, it's new research. That's it's, uh, I, I I raced to this little talk. I kind of got at the end of it, but still, it was fascinating that it was in the mainstream right here. That's fabulous. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, super cool. So I was, you know, when you you take all these tinctures, what do you think the equivalent, like as far as like shot glass? You think you, in the day time you take a shot glass equivalent of herbs in tincture form? I'm not sure I understood that. I got something about herb and shot glass. No, like you, your tinctures. You're saying you're taking. You know, you know, you take this every day, and you're taking that every day. How how much do you think that equivalent to in terms of if it was a shot glass full of all the herbs? Oh, okay. One ounce of herb is one ounce of herb tincture is forty dropperfuls. Okay. So how how much? So if do you I take a dropperful, I take my three red girls: Crataegus, Schisandra, Hypericum. I take a dropper full of echinacea. I take a dropper full of motherwort. So that's one eighth of an ounce. That's a of tiny all amount of alcohol. And it's I'm always not in liquid. I'm, I'm just, you know, because sometimes it looks like a half shot at the end of my day, but I'm solid. You know, it's fine. It's just. I see I, you're, I really, that you're taking so many tinctures that you that it would be like half a shot, but you're doing it in some liquid. Yes. Oh yes, for sure. Okay, good. But no, it's it's uh, 
But the late last lady that was talking. Uh, well, it's one of the reasons I use vodka because I figure, you know, over the course of my life, I am consuming this alcohol. Right, I'm not sitting down and like drinking it or having shot glasses of it, but yes, I'm taking tinctures and I take tinctures daily now and sometimes large amounts of them depending on what I need. And so it's one of the reasons why I use hundred-proof vodka and not Everclear. Because oh, when I first started making tinctures, I couldn't Everclear. even buy Everclear in New York State because and I ask why, and they said, because if you drink two liters of Everclear, you're dead. I'm like, what? Yeah. Well, they said, yes, it is so hard on your liver. And, I think, and I'm thinking, I know shamans in Siberia who drink two liters of vodka a day, every day of their lives. <laughs> and I wouldn't necessarily you know, recommend it as a lifestyle, but... Just the same way as shamans in South America might, you know, eat an ounce of tobacco, which we would not recommend to anyone here. Well, those little old ladies in Russia, they drink every day. That's <laughs> right, and plenty of it. I mean, just saying, it's, it's, it's what it and is. So hooray for the vodka to help our liver. So you never, what is your, what about, what are your other alcohols that you like to infuse in? That's it. You like I just because want to remind you that what you have for the entire time you're here. Remember I said one spray on each angle? That's why I said one spray. Okay. If you use it all up, you're going to be unhappy. Right. <laughs> she got her yarrow spray to ward off the insects today, and I'm reminding her that there's not an endless supply of this. <laughs> and she should be well, I feel like I got an endless usage supply of, of it. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, you got exploded with your own pictures, I guess. We ha- well, yes, I primarily. I use yarrow tincture as an insect repellent. I got turned on to that actually by the U.S. Army, which found that tincture of um, yarrow tops and tincture of flowering tops were a highly effective insect repellent. And I've actually seen some women offering a spray, which they mix the two together, catnip and yarrow. How nice. Must smell great. Yarrow. The yarrow tincture spray for insects works better than a citronella, and that. You know, if I tell you all this, I tell you, the yarrow works better. It's, it's so pungent. I mean, it's, you just become very pungent. I mean, yarrow is a mistress to be contented with, I will say. She will take care of you. And it is another beautiful crop. It is a bumper year. You're right. It is a very beautiful year. Um for the plants, the energy, and uh, oh, and I this year I'm growing my first motherwort. I ordered what I thought was a plant, and I got seeds, and so I planted those. But then I ordered a plant from Richter, and it, but because we're the short mountain where I usually get it, for some reason that plant is gone, and I went all the way up there to find that. I think there's some more because what I had is pretty well gone. It's just gone. There's just no motherwort there. It, I don't, it just probably doesn't grow like it does up in the north. It probably likes it up there a lot better. Like I said, the, even the St. Jones work gets more, it, it, it just gets more lush the further north you go. Even between Kentucky and Tennessee, it's, it's a thicker passage. Yeah. Motherwort, like most of the mints, 
is what's sometimes called a tender perennial. It's not really so much that it's tender. It's that it grows one year and it doesn't do much, and it grows the second year and it's a nice plant and has flowers, and it grows the third year. And most of what we're seeing this year is third-year motherwort, and it's just like lush and big and gorgeous. And then it dies. Then it just dies after the third uh, year. Oh, yeah. so it puts on this huge floriferous display, and then it's like gone. The sage will do that, you know. Most, most of them. Right. If you don't get in there and start cutting back on the flowering tops, don't expect to have it for a fourth year. And it's okay. Just replant those things. But motherwort, of course, you don't have to bother to replant because it's already setting seeds by the second year. So there's always like a constant crop of motherwort coming along, coming along, if you just let it actually go to seed even once or twice in your garden. Let it volunteer. And it will volunteer forever. It's a, a great mint that way. Like it's solid volunteer plant. Give it its head, literally. Let it spread its mm. seed around, and it'll make sure to find every nook and cranny that it can hang out in. It's such a pretty plant. Give it its head so it can work the heart. I mean, so the hands of the heart. Hands from the heart. Yeah. Let go of the head so it can have your heart. Wow! Now, now we—that could be a song. <laughs> okay. Well, I think it's time for our guest to come on. So I'm going to wish you Hi. green things and thank you so much for your call. It was good to talk to you again. Yes. Good night. Good night. All right. Here we are. Let me see if I can find the guest on our list. Of- People that are in here, hang on just a minute while I muddle about here for a minute. Hey, she's at 828. Oh, here we are. I found her. Alicia is an interdisciplinary thinker who's been researching social inequality for almost 30 years. Her degree is in human biology from Stanford, a multidisciplinary combination of anthropology, psychology, and biology. After working for four years in neuroscience at my alma mater, UCLA, the politics and sexism drove her out of academia. Since then, she's collected data across disciplines to interpret it for the public, reading every book, article, and paper she could find on the rise of dominance in the Bronze Age. She's traveled the world visiting matrilineal cultures and searching museums for clues to our ancient past. Meanwhile, she worked as a computer engineer on the forefront of creating the Internet in the 90s, built a wilderness retreat, and developed a trauma-informed healing practice. We're thrilled to welcome you to the show, Alicia. Thank you, Susan. What had interdisciplinary mind you have what is keeping you excited these days well I really think that interdisciplinariness is the key to understanding what's really going on because if we're too sort of in these narrow boxes that academia has you just you can't really see the forest for the trees and so um well, I, I finally published my book that I've been working on for 30 years off and on in, in between building a homestead, farm, and, and house, and business. Um, and it's called Before War, 
on on marriage hierarchy and our matriarchal origins and um, I feel like it's it's a really important message for the world because it shows that we've lived in peace and egalitarian civilizations before and so we could potentially do it again the sign of the labyrinth yes i have a tattoo of that on my back i have one wired right next to my door on the fence so that everyone who comes sees it of course they don't always know what it is but it is the tool of the metroculture it is the tool that we can never find any evidence was used in a harmful way. Mm-hmm. So today there's a new apprentice here, and she received two assignments that she'll be working on for her entire apprenticeship. One is to develop a relationship with a green ally, and the other is to choose a goddess archetype and to give a presentation on that. I frequently had Merlin Stone here at the Wise Woman Center, and she talked about being told that there was no goddess. (laughs) (laughs) The gaslighting, the goddess gaslighting. What do you mean, Merlin, the goddess? You can't write about the goddess. There never was a goddess. Don't be silly. (laughs) Yeah, that's what they tell us. (laughs) So what have you found? Well, that that idea that there is no goddess is a is a fallacy with a ph. I mean, I I I feel like I wrote this book as a kind of a a um, an inoculation against this rise of anti-feminist um, thinking that's come up now. I'm I'm seeing that in the world, this kind of backlash against feminism, and so it's it's hopefully a, a sort of a prophetic, you know prophylactic against that um and so you know it's the real history of western civilization as opposed to the distorted version we learn in school which is basically history written by the conquerors because the conquerors want to look like the good guys and justify their conquests and stay in power It was always my worst subject was history and I said I just don't want to learn about who killed who and over what Exactly. I I talk about that in the intro to my history chapter um, that I went to an all-girls school in Washington, D.C., and we didn't even have a history class because I guess they figured it's not about us. Girls don't need to learn history. It's not about them. It's just about armies and, and, you know, which, which guy conquered who. Well, um, hooray for your school that you didn't have to do poorly in history because you didn't even have it. That's true. That's true. They spared us that boring stuff. But it can and be then, so of course, you know, figurines like the goddess of Villendorf, um, who, we, who is now called the goddess of Villendorf, but of course when she was first picked up, was called a fertility fetish. Right? Like she's a porn doll or something. And and I take to task anyone who could think that that is a representative of a pregnant female. Exactly. You know, it's, it's purely the body of a woman in her 70s or 80s. Right. And that was the holiest thing and the most important kind of human back then. 
the grandmother hypothesis. Yes, I go into that. It's it's um it's gaining ground. You know, this idea that that um the whole reason for us to even exist past our last moon cycles is that at one point we were living in a female centric society, a matrifocal society where where the women stayed together with their sisters and their mothers and um, and therefore put their, their energy into raising their, their grandchildren, which must have really helped us survive. And that wouldn't have been such a thing that was selected for if we were in a patriarchal society where women were separated from their female kin. And were thought to be most useful during their fertile years. Yes. So, you, the, this book is out now? It's out now. It came out a couple weeks ago. Oh, my gosh. Goosebumps. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Tell everybody how they can get it. Oh, it's it's on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. The ebook is on Amazon, and um, the black and white is Barnes and Noble, and the color pictures are on Bookshop.org, which is the independent bookstore. Whoa, okay. The color pictures at Bookshop.org, and the name again? Before War. Before War. How could I forget that? Duh. Before War, easy to remember. Thank you. Thank you for all of the research across all of those disciplines, the books, the articles, the papers, so important for us. What are some of the most interesting things that you learned from doing all that research? Well, much of it is actually a summary of other people's work um, across um, genetics, archaeology, anthropology, zoology, primatology, and, and history and, and mythology. But to me, the linguistics blew my mind the most because that was some of my most um, original thinking that, that was putting together things that I haven't seen anyone talk about, which is the linguistic features in patriarchal languages which the two patriarchal language groups are the Indo are Indo-European, which is most of the European languages we're familiar with, plus Northern Indian ones, and Semitic languages, which is Hebrew and Arabic and ancient languages such as Phoenician and Akkadian. And they have very particular features that no other languages have, which probably affect the way we perceive the world. And all the languages that we're most familiar with are basically a result of the imposition of a conqueror language, a colonizer language, on top of a much different non-Indo-European language that would have been the majority language of the masses and which, which, which had a very strong effect on the colonizer language, such that it created a totally new combination of those two things as these two cultures collided the patriarchal Indo-European conquerors in this initial colonization 5,000 years ago the colonization of Europe the first colonization and that created language as we know it now language which gives us such interesting things as 
um, nouns being defined as male and female, and right. then being um, given adjectives and articles based on that. And it was astonishing to me that in German, which has uh, neuter in addition to male and female, a little boy has a male adjective, but a little girl has a neuter adjective. Exactly. Gendered grammar, but also this whole idea of sort of transitive verbs. In many non-Indo-European languages, you can't even really say that you do something to someone. It's more like you're doing it together, and the person who is the subject of the sentence is more often the person that's in the receiving end. So you'd say more like me as opposed to I, kind of like me, Tarzan. You think of yourself more as a passive voice than an active voice. Interesting, yes. When people you know, ask me about, is that the active ingredient in the plant? Sometimes I say perhaps I'm more interested in the passive ingredients in this plant. <laughs> yes. It's a whole different way of thinking as, as yourself. It's a whole different way of, like, defining worth. Exactly. Where activity is worthwhile and passivity is worthless. I was saying today, and people look at me like, come on, really? That for 2,000 years, everyone alive believed that men put their seed into the woman's fertile field. Semen means seed, and that the woman had nothing to do with conception. Right. In fact, we are pollinated. It isn't semen, it's pollen. Right. Yeah, it's crazy. Empty vessels. I mean, there was a huge but propaganda. That 2,000 years, I think, is a really critical 2,000 years where what you're talking about disappears. And, it, and across the world, we have many instances of a very rapid disappearance of this. Um, well, I started this morning with talking stick and talking about how that was gifted to me from Grandmother Twyla, who was introducing me to the Council of Crones. Mm. Mm-hmm. We've lost that, that. That's how they're ruled. They're ruled by the Council of Crones. That's right. And there's something about, now that I myself have actually been through the change, I realize the clarity that comes with that because you're actually, your, your reproductive system is not trying to manipulate you to breed. And that <laughs> really makes you in a unique position to be able to lead from a, a a different perspective. Exactly. Yeah, I love the way you put that. It's so true. <laughs> the reproductive system is tricking you into breathing. <laughs> I remember the menopause workshop and a woman admitted that she got pregnant three years after her last period. <gasps> I know, that's what we all went, what? And she said it was a new lover and we're like, okay. <laughs> so, how did we get from this is a fertility fetish to these are goddesses. How did we, how did we, get, I mean, Maria Gimbutas, oh, blessed be. What a, what a hard battle she fought. Oh, she, the, the book is dedicated to her, as well as to my great teacher, Martine Pactel, whose school I went to, and to oh, Leanne Eisler. Martine, oh, how wonderful. Oh, yeah. I mean, he helped me understand the human past in a way that all my academic studies did not, you know. But Maria 
it's one of the chapters of the book is, is kind of a narrative journalistic approach to her whole story and how she was basically shut down by her academic rival, Sir Colin Renfrew, who had his, this, this debate about the Indo-European origins. He had a different hypothesis than her. And because he was like old money and she was the Lithuanian peasant and he's this, you know, Lord, he basically shut her down with a bunch of, of misogynistic in, insults about how, oh, she's fascinated with fertility goddesses because she's going through menopause and that kind of thing. And it shut down the whole conversation. And to this day, really, until, and, but she was unflappable. She never lost her faith. She never lost her cool. She never got mad, even after her career was ruined. She said, my work will come around again. And to his credit, her rival, Sir Colin Renfrew, in 2017, said that Maria had been magnificently vindicated by the DNA evidence, which proved her right. I was going right. to say, the DNA evidence is so clear that she was right, right, right. Yes. And so that's what a lot of the book is about, is, is looking at all of the new evidence that's come out since the chalice and the blade, um, a lot of the genetic stuff, and it's fascinating stuff. It's a big story. It's basically the entire male genome of Europe and Western Asia was wiped out, like overnight, by the Indo-Europeans and replaced, the entire male genome was replaced with the Indo-European DNA. Like, it's a big story. It's a really big story. It's really, it's like, if they'd been teaching me this in history, I would have done really well. I would have been so fascinated. Exactly, but it's been suppressed because it's the conquerors, the Indo-Europeans, that are telling the story, and they don't want us to know that they were primitive, you know, grunting, you know, sheep herders who basically (laughs) appropriated these much more intelligent, much more culturally sophisticated Female-centric civilization. (laughs) So, how far back in time are we talking about here with these goddess figurines and and the women-focused cultures? Well, you know, these hundreds, if not thousands, of these, these fleshy figurines have been found going back to you know, 40,000, 50,000 B.C., but there's even one, a more primitive one. It's like the size of a pebble, but it was clearly carved to look like one of these, these, these you know, Venuses. It goes back, it was dated to 250,000 years ago. The Venus, the Venus of, what is it called, uh, Hohenheld Fells or something. Oh, I get shivers thinking about it. Right. Mm. And then there's the red ochre, which is, you know, this this um, pigment that they use to bury their dead. Every continent in the world, going back hundreds of thousands of years, the dead were buried with red ochre, which we know from, from modern hunter-gatherers say that it is related to menstrual blood. So this religion centering around menstrual blood and, and the female body goes back, you know, 100,000 years at least, and patriarchy is only 5,000 years old. Like when you look at the human story and how long we've been 
you know, doing ritual and burying our dead and making jewelry, it's a drop in the bucket. <laughs> we were talking today about that old story of Inanna going down to visit her sister Arishkagal in the underworld. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Which already... We, you know, even though it's one of the very oldest stories we have, already we can really see the corruption um, of the focus on women. Right. Yeah. And that Ishtar, you know, it is has to get her power in sneaky ways. Right. Well, that's been our only like access to power since we were denied having it directly. And now they're even covering up that, that, you know, Inanna was, uh, Ishtar was, was, you know, married to Yahweh. They're pretending that Yahweh has always been like a bachelor God. (laughs) (laughs) There was a female component until all that was covered up, but they're just now finding that in the last couple of decades as they're digging up, all of, you know, in, in Jerusalem, even after Yahweh, even a thousand years, 2,000 years later, in, in the privacy of their own homes, women were still, people were still worshiping the Queen of Heaven. Yeah. The Queen of Heaven, Inanna, yeah. and Isis and Astarte, the Queen of the Stars as well. Yes. So this was a big story, and then it got kind of silenced, and now it's coming up again. Is it just you, or is there some, like, groundswell that's happening? There is a groundswell. Like, you know, for for all these years that I've been researching it, I felt like there was just radio silence. There was nothing about it. And then just in the last couple years, because of this genetic evidence that's kind of like, restarting it. I mean, this geneticist David Reich is talking about this big story that the the genetics are telling about the entire male genome being wiped out, which means, by the way, that the male genome is is not very genetically diverse as it was before the invasion. So David Reich is talking about this, and this guy, Chris Christensen, this archaeologist, they're getting together cross-culturally telling this story, and of course they're leaving Maria Gambutas out, like they're acting like they've invented this story, like, wow, this is a big story. Oh, it's all been told before, guys. Okay, but okay, good, we're talking about it again. And then a book just came out called The Patriarch, How Men Came to Rule by Angela Saini, came out a few months ago. And then there was The Dawn of Everything by David Graeber and David Wengro, which is an incredibly exciting book that points out that many early civilizations, advanced civilizations, were actually egalitarian until this wave of patriarchy passed over, but they remained egalitarian and thrived for hundreds of years and sometimes even went back to that after the patriarchy wave. Oh, I remember Merlin saying that despite being told there was nothing about the goddess, she would go into used bookstores, and she would walk through the used bookstore, and she would hear a hum, and she would follow the hum to the book, and sometimes the book would vibrate, sometimes it would actually fall off the shelf onto her foot. Ooh, I love that. Right. 
And now, you know, and I remember the day that there were more goddess books published that month than I could read. Oh, the good old it had been, you know, like a goddess book a year, maybe two goddess books a year, Hallie, and go hard to Austin, and then, you know, uh, long wait, and finally Monica's shoe, and then long wait, and, you know. <laughs> right. Right. So well, now, so how cool. wonderful to have all of this information, and to have um, so much access for all of us to start to say, we're not making this up, we're not imagining it, we're remembering it. Exactly, we're, we're re-uncovering it, because there was a whole other phase when all of this was known, back in the, in the, the 19th century, all of these early anthropologists, during the dawn of anthropology, when it was kind of first invented, they were you know, hanging out in North America, these settlers, and they were seeing all these matrilineal cultures in North America, and they were going, wait a second, the majority of people are actually matrilineal. They trace their lineage from mother to daughter, and they have a lot in common with each other on every continent, like the fact that the mother's brother is the main male in the children's life. And so the early Marxists and early anthropologists all were in agreement that there was an early stage of matriarchy before patriarchy came along. And everyone agreed with that, and they agreed that, that it probably meant that people were more promiscuous than they are now because without paternity and the necessity of knowing who your father is, there's no reason for sex shaming and monogamy and all of that. But then in the 40s, this one dude was so triggered by all of that he single-handedly shut down that whole conversation. So it keeps getting undug up and then re-shut down. Wow. That is pretty amazing. You know, uh, uh, Alicia, I have been a little negligent because I've been having such a good time talking with you that I haven't asked you to tell people how they can get in touch with you. Um, my, my website is beforewar.com. Beforewar.com, and her book is Beforewar.com, and it's available in different formats. You can find it at the bookstores. You can find it at Amazon. You can find it at, where's the place with the color pictures? Bookstore.org. Bookstore.org. You know, I imagine that we are reweaving the healing cloak of the ancients. Oh, may it be so. Right, we are spinning our threads, and we are weaving them back together again into this web, into this net, into this cloak that holds us, that is there for us when we are born, and that wraps us up in death. And your work here, helping us to know the strength of our fabric, the strength of our weaving. I have hardly words for my expression of gratitude to you. Thank you. Those were great words. Thank you for that so much. Yes. Hey, Justine, my most beautiful and precious daughter, thank you so much for helping me restore herbal medicine to its rightful place as 
people's medicine. Without Justine, we wouldn't have all these wonderful video courses or the hundreds and hundreds of YouTubes. The apprentice and I were making elderflower champagne today, and we went and we looked up a YouTube of me making elderflower champagne and went along with it as we were making it. It was so much fun. It was like being in two places at once. Ooh, deja vu all over again. I love you, Justine. I love you too, Sarah Ellen. Love you all. Love Green you. blessings and good night. Love you, love you. Good night. Oh, we got 90 seconds to go. I love you. It is my pleasure to help you, Susan. But I guess she's gone now. Good night, everybody.